You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. During the time of worship this uh, evening, I just sensed the leading of the Lord to go a certain direction. And I opened my scripture to Numbers chapter 13. And so I want to jump into that. And uh, I have just prepared this fresh sermon just for you. Alright, it's a, it's a now word from the Lord from Numbers chapter 13. Um, um, I, I, I sense that's the word of the Lord for us. And uh, I want to minister to you for a few moments. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do a few things uh, this evening. Um, I learned, first of all, let me qualify by saying, my wife and I last year when we went to Swaziland, under the invitation of the princess of, of, of Swaziland, uh, whose husband is Apostle Casaro, that uh, Pastor Martin had the opportunity of meeting, and um, uh, next, next year we'll be back in Swaziland right now under the invitation of the Majesty. Um, I do want you to uh, pray for us also regarding that trip. It's, it will be Easter uh, week that I'm there. So I'm not spending Easter in Singapore. I'm spending Easter in Africa. Yes. And um, you know, I love the African culture. Yeah. Um, Three things I've learned that I, I told my church, three things that I've shared with the American church, three things that I shared with the Latin American churches, three things that I shared with the Spanish churches because I was just in Madrid before I came here. And so three things that I just want to share my heart with you uh, with regards to the African culture uh, that I feel that we can do tonight, you know. Uh, so tonight, one of the things that... Um, really excites me about the African culture is just how passionate they are. They are extremely passionate people. And um, when, when they agree with a certain word that I minister on, they stand up and they do a dance. Yeah. You know? uh, so uh, I see quite a few Africans here. Uh, how many from Nigeria? Ooh. How many from Zimbabwe? How many from Tanzania? How many from Ghana? How many from Burkina Faso? You speak French now. <laughs> How many from Kenya? All right. And where are the rest of you from? <laughs> uh, so I'm okay if you stand up and do a jig. All right. Uh, that's fine with me. Uh, the second thing that they do besides they just dance, um, the second thing that is that really is so impacting for me is that whenever they agree with a word that I preach, they come up and they sow the money in agreement. Um, so whether you want to put your pounds, your shillings, <laughs> whatever on this stage, I'm not collecting an offering for myself, all right? If you come and do that and you're sowing to the word, I'm fine with that. That is going to go straight into CLM. Uh, because that's the storehouse that is going to bless you. The third thing here that I feel that we, we could do tonight, you know, if, we, if, if you are too distinguished as the British, uh, you know, the British culture is really distinguished. You know, they are really, really sweet and kind. Uh, my brother-in-law is a Brit, so I understand he's from West Ham. No, <laughs> wrong team. <coughs> and so uh, I, I know you're prim and proper, but... If, if you can't bring yourself to do a jig, that's fine. If you can't bring yourself to uh, put the pounds on a, ta- uh, on a stage here, that's fine. Uh, you know, in Panama, they throw the money <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> uh, but I think one thing we can all do, we can all agree by saying amen. Because amen means so be it. Amen means according to your word, Lord, I, let it be. That's what it is. So uh, the least that you and I can do as believers in Christ Jesus is to say amen. Amen? Amen. All right. Are you ready for the word? All right. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13. And in a moment's time, I'm going to give you the title uh, of this this sermon for today. But let's begin in verse 1. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. And from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Let me pause here by saying, this is an encounter between God, 
uh, this is an encounter between Moses and God. And in the encounter that Moses had with God, Moses received the promise of God, of the land that God is going to give to him. Now, I know you British says land. All right, so um, my, my Singlish is land, uh, so you guys translate it into land, all right? <laughs> whatever you're comfortable with. And so I believe God has a promised land for every man and every woman. For some of you tonight, it could be a geographical place that is your promised land. Because I sense a couple of you here, yeah, I sense about 2% uh, or two couples sitting in this place that is asking God for a particular land right here in the Midlands. And if that's you, I want you tonight to hold fast to this promise of God. But I also believe that besides the physical boundary of land that uh, some of you would be having, there is a promised land. As a promised land means that God has a promise for you. God has an agreement with you. It could be a family. It could be the salvation of your household. It could be a financial breakthrough. It could be a spiritual breakthrough. Whatever it is, there is God's promise into your life where God says to you, there is a land that I'm giving to you. Can someone say amen? Now I get excited just preaching and hearing myself preach it because I too am right now claiming the land that God has for me. Amen. Now let's, let's move on. And for us to recognize that as God made that promise, God said to Abraham to send out 12 men from the tribe. 12 leaders from the tribe. We are not talking about, you know, the the guy on the street, we're talking about the leaders of leaders, the, the tribal leaders. And so they are to be sent out. And then in verse 3 onwards, these are the names, you know. And we're going to skip all those names. Look at verse 17 right now. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Neve and on into the hills country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruits of the land. Let me pause here by saying uh, to business owners and to business executives. How many entrepreneurs do we have here? How many business owners do we have here? All right, quite a few of you. How many of you are business executives? And, uh, all right, how many of you? Come on, just one? Uh, all right, a couple of you. How many of you are head of departments? You work in an MMC, you work in a multinational corporation, and, and you're like a head of departments. Nobody here. Then what do the rest of you do? <laughs> On the door? <laughs> well, see, the Bible, the Bible teaches us a lot about business. It's up, it's, this is marketplace. This is really marketplace. Uh, I, I teach CEOs in some of the countries that uh, invites me, uh, and I speak to chief executive officers. I speak to business entrepreneurs, and there's a lot of stuff that is here. And if you read this very carefully, you understand the, the concept of what we call doing a market survey. Uh, this is a market survey. Moses sent them out to do a uh, a market feasibility study. Alright, so for those of you in business, this is where the whole idea comes from. So if you are venturing into a business, make sure you do your market survey. Make sure you do a feasibility study. That's what this is all about. Alright, so don't, 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 don't read and learn from all the secular guys. Read the Bible. The Bible is full of teaching for those of you that are in business. The Bible is full of... Uh, teaching for those of you that are business executive, those of you that are uh, head of departments, those of, those of you that are in sales and marketing. Uh, read this. Uh, read the Bible. It's powerful. There's so many texts that will teach you. All right, so anyway, there's a digression. So verse 21, So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Sin and all the way through. And then uh, look at verse 23. When they reached the valley of Escrow, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and fig. 
That place was called the Valley of Escrow because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelite cut there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Now, we notice this, that they went down, they did a market survey, they spied the land, and they also brought back the fruits. And I want you to know the fruits were extremely juicy, extremely big. I want you to know, in God's economy, everything is humongous. I once went to this place in Guatemala. And in Amalonga, anybody heard of Amalonga? Anybody? Nobody? Well, I, I was first introduced to Amalonga uh, through a friend of mine. His name is George Otis Jr. Now, George Otis Jr. is what we call a spiritual mapper. He goes into a country and he maps what God is doing in those countries. And then he publishes a book to tell people what God is doing. And so he first introduced me to this place called Amalonga. Not too long after his introduction, I had the opportunity to fly into Guatemala for a conference. And in that conference, there were about 10,000 people. And to begin the conference after the time of worship, was the time where the dignitaries that are there uh, basically comes up on stage and talk. And, and one of the dignitaries that came up on stage to talk was actually the president's wife. And she came to the podium and the first words that came out from her mouth is, Hallelujah! And the whole entire crowd went crazy because this was a Christian meeting and it was an intercession and spiritual warfare conference. And when she said hallelujah, hallelujah, there was a massive eruption throughout the whole ground. And then she says, I am a child of God. I love Jesus Christ. Then the next word she says, please pray for my husband. He needs Jesus. And the president is sitting right there. It's no wonder that the country of Guatemala, when you Google it, you'll discover that it has one of the highest percentile of believers in the country. And so, uh, while we were in the conference, I then went to visit Amalonga. Amalonga is a tiny little town. And when I went to that, that town, it was an incredulous town because there is no vices in that town. Can you imagine living in a place where there is no drug addiction? Can you imagine if every street is called St. Peter Street, St. Paul Street, Battle. Yeah. Everywhere you turn to, it's like it's a it's a it's 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 like you are taken out from this zone into another zone. In fact, I went door knocking and I asked this folks, hola, and they say, Hola, I said, Como esta? Yes, como esta? which is how are you? And then I asked them, Do you love Jesus? And they say, Oh yeah, we we, we love Jesus. We love the word of God. And they start speaking in tongues over me. I say, thank you. Mucha bendiciones, you know, much blessing. And then go to the next door, knock on the door. And ask the same question. And they all kiss me, hug me. I say, we love Jesus. And he starts speaking in tongues. Every home. I went to the marketplace that day to, to see the kind of stocks because I heard about the produce, the incredulous produce. And I want you to know, how big is, how long are the cucumbers found here in a market in Coventry? The size, right? I want you to know, it's as long as your cricket bat. Yeah, long, huge. I mean, you go to America, to the farm in, in Texas and Oklahoma and all those places, and during this time of the year in fall, there has this festival where they find the biggest pumpkin, right? This size. I want you to know, in Amalonga, every melon is that size. The tomatoes or tomatoes, whatever, however you pronounce it, is bigger than a baseball. Can you imagine doing salad with just half of <laughs> The cabbages are huge. Huge cabbages. Seen it for myself. In fact, a couple of my Singapore friends decided to take the soil home. I say, ain't gonna make no difference because this is God's land. <laughs> Where God is as tremendous miracle and so they cut those grapes the huge cluster of grapes in fact it says put on a pole two men carried the pole can you just imagine grapes I mean you go down to Coles and you buy is it Coles supermarket to buy no not Coles so, 
Tesco, that's right. You go to Tesco and you buy grapes. I mean, you just take it in a bunch with, with one hand home. But these grapes were huge, ginormous, humongous grapes that are so heavy, it requires two men to carry on a pole bag. I can ju just imagine this sight. And so now, verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them. Now this is again a very good important lesson on, on leadership as well as in the business. If you do a market survey, you send stuff out, make sure you have good accounting. All right. So they reported to them and to the whole assembly showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is fruit. But the people who live there are very powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live and it talks about all the ites, including the mosquitoes' ites. Then, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the man who has gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. They are the descendants of Anak. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look like them. I want to entitle my message this evening, Becoming a Grasshopper Killer. <laughs> Becoming a Grasshopper Killer killer. The problem in our world today is because you and I have become grasshoppers in our own sight. And because of how we perceive the world, we have now become grasshopper. A grasshopper complex is that which you and I suffers from. What is a grasshopper complex? A grasshopper complex is a Complex of being a defeated believer. It's a defeatist attitude that one has. A grasshopper complex is someone who says, I cannot. Whereas the scripture says, I can do all things. But the grasshopper complex runs against that grain and says, I cannot. When you're asked to step into leadership, you say, I cannot. When you say, could you be an usher? I cannot. Could you greet someone? I cannot. It is someone, a grasshopper complex is someone who is defeated, is someone who says, I cannot. A grasshopper complex is someone who puts themselves beneath that which God has already declared in your life. Okay. Amen. So tonight, I want to share with us very quickly how you and I can become a grasshopper killer. We need to kill the grasshopper. We need to kill this syndrome, this sickness, this disease in our life. We need to eradicate it so that you and I can walk, as the Scripture says, more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen. God has destined you to be the head and not the tail. Come on. God has said that you are, you are more than a conqueror. Your identities are sons and daughters of God, not paupers. We are prince and princesses in the eyes of God. In order to be a grasshopper uh, killer, the first thing you and I must do is that to understand God's Word is more than a promise. God's Word is more than a promise. In this, in this scripture, we, we read about how Moses, Moses and God had a conversation. In all likelihood, before Moses sent them out, Moses would have told them, listen folks, God said this to me, and uh, please go and, and check it out. Where the people were concerned, you know, a promise is just like a human promise. How many, of, how many of you have experienced people making promises in your life and never carry it? Yeah, lots of us, yeah. That's, that's where in our human journey, we feel the first tinge, the first experience of human betrayal. When someone breaks a promise and doesn't carry it out, 
as when we as a young child, you know, when your parents say, I'm going to take you out and they didn't the first time. And then they didn't the second time. But the third time, your parents say, I'm going to take you out. You're going to say, ah, rubbish, baloney, right? It creeps in into our hearts. And that's why in, in us, there is this grasshopper syndrome, grasshopper complex that we need to deal with. And so when we approach God's Word, sometimes when we read the promises of God, and we have sung this morning that God's Word are yea and amen. But we, you and I cannot believe that it's yea and amen because we treat God's promises just as we treat man's promises. But friends, I want us to understand today, God's Word is more than a promise because when God says it, it is done. When God says it, it is settled. You see, when, when God says something, all of heaven orientates and align to the purposes of God. But because God says it and it is done, because God says it and it is settled, it is very important that you and I must first believe. In order for God's Word to be more than a promise, it is important that you must first believe. There's a big difference between believing in your mind and believing in your heart. The issue with many of us is that we only believe in our mind. It is an intellectual, it is an academic stimulation of our mind. But it is never a deep-seated conviction in our hearts. I will, I will share this with you so that you can understand a little better this, this connection. When Natalie, my daughter, who is 27 already this year, when she was about three, four years old, my wife and I decided to make every Saturday a meaningful day for family gathering. And so on Saturdays, we would go out swimming. The first time we went to the swimming pool, I was so excited about bringing my daughter, Natalie, to the swimming pool. I prepared her the night before to bring her rubber duckies and all of her flotation devices to go uh, for, the swimming, for the time at the, at the swimming pool. When we arrived at the swimming pool, uh, I was already changed and I was in the swimming pool. And I was watching my daughter and she kind of lined up her rubber ducky and her flotation device right you know, in the safe zone. I said to her, honey, let's go swimming. And as much as she loved swimming that day, she would take her flotation device, run up to the edge of the pool and put it and, and let rubber ducky float on the water. I said to Natalie, sweetheart, come into the water. She said, no, picked up her rubber ducky and go back to safe zone. I was a little bit exasperated, so I came out from the swimming pool. I walked out from the swimming pool, went to grab her, and she was fine as I carried her. But as I came closer to the water edge, you can see that she was struggling. As I began to step into the water with her, now she's screaming and kicking, and everyone in the pool is looking at this murder scene. And so out of embarrassment, I had to put her back on safe zone. Yeah. And I mean, she was crying. So after she settled down and she started coming to the edge to play with a flotation device, I said to her, I said, sweetheart, do you believe that daddy can swim? She says, yes. I said, sweetheart, do you believe that when you jump, daddy will catch you? She says, yes. I said, sweetheart, do you believe that when you jump, daddy will catch you? And because daddy can swim, daddy can teach you to swim. She said, yes. I said, if you believe, jump. She said, no. <laughs> then, then the Lord gave me a revelation. You can believe in your mind. But if you cannot believe in your heart, nothing happens. You understand? If you want to be a grasshopper killer, you want to eradicate the grasshopper syndrome that, that, that has taken root in your life, friends, then this, uh, this evening, we must believe, not in our mind. It is not about a mental stimulation of our mind, but it's about a heart deep-seated conviction to embrace everything that God says. So you got to believe it. you got to claim it. You must actualize it. It is very important today that you got to believe. That's why, let me ask a question here. How many spies did Moses send out? How many? Twelve. Okay. 
not all of you are sure. Do attend the, the classes. It will help you. Give me the names of two of the spies that Moses sent out. I'm only asking for two. Joshua and Caleb. All right. How many have been in this church for at least 10 years? All right. Those of you 10 years and above. How many of you have been a Christian for 10 years and above? All right. To all the Christians that have been believers for 10 years and above, name me the 10 spies without looking at your Bible. Nope. No? Why not? <laughs> I want us to know. I want us to understand this. The reason why we don't remember them is because they're grasshoppers. We only remember the grasshopper killers. The reason why we remember Joshua and Caleb is because they are grasshopper killers. Because they believe with their heart and not believe in their mind. They took God's word to realize that it is more than a promise. Because God, when God says it, it is done. It is completed. It is settled. And that's the, that's the approach and the disposition you and I need to have. If we are going to see victory in our life, if we are going to work the miraculous, live in the supernatural, do the impossible, it is very important that we have this disposition of believing in our hearts as we take God's Word, as we read the Word of God, we see a promise, we say, yep, God, you promise it, I receive it, it's done. And if you live that way, then you begin to see the miraculous. But if you live always in a, in a sense of, oh, it's a promise, it hasn't happened, it's a promise, it hasn't, then it ain't going to happen. You're going to live your life in a way that you align with God's Word, you actualize it, and you begin to enforce it into your life. Number two, very quickly. What's the time now? What time do I quit? Okay, whatever time. Okay. The second very important thing in becoming a grasshopper killer is that you got to watch what you see. You got to learn to be careful with what you see. Because friends, what you see, you will become. I want to say that again. What you see, you become. We, we become that which we focus our eyes on. When I was learning to drive, and I didn't learn to drive uh, until I was very much, you know, in, okay, let me just say that. In Singapore, in Trinity Christian Centre, we don't have old folks. We have young, younger, youngest. <laughs> so all of us here are young and younger, and some youngest that I see there. So when I was younger, I didn't learn to drive until I was young. Because I was the kind that, you know, when I was growing up, I, I had chauffeurs. You know, I had people who, who, who chauffeur me to school. Uh, and uh, we had drivers when I was growing up. And then when I was dating, I selected a girlfriend who would drive. <laughs> so that when I got married to her, she's my three-in-one. <laughs> How many of you understand what I'm saying? Eh? Uh, that's why we have the three-in-one tea. So I had a three-in-one called Chinin. So I never had to drive. It wasn't until 1993 when I went to Vancouver to pastor in Vancouver. When I, when I planted a church in Australia, I had a chauffeur because Paul, who was, I mean, Rinder was in, was in school. So Paul, I mean, he, he, he was happily retired, so he drove me around every day while I was there. So now in Vancouver, I had nobody because I went to, to this church and I had nobody that could drive me around. And uh, I was taking taxi and it was costing me a fortune. <laughs> so I decided to learn to drive. And then when I was learning to drive, I discovered as, as I'm driving, and particularly when you're going over bridges and narrow lanes, for those of us that are learning to drive, we get a little bit frightened by it. And I noticed one thing, where my eyes set on, that's where I veer to. You understand what I'm saying? That which you put your attention to, that's where the power will flow. 
that, that where you put your attention to, that's where you will become. And that's where you will be. And so, it tells us a very important truth here, that your focus determines your destiny. In this story, in Numbers chapter 13, notice that verse that we have read, and I read it two times. The ten leaders, and we're not talking about ordinary folks, friends. We are talking about the leaders of leaders. And those leaders of leaders began to look at the giants. And they begin to say, oh, they are overwhelming. They are big. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And that's why they became grasshopper. You become what you see. Listen, friends, it is so important today that you and I need to learn to focus in the supernatural and not the natural. That which you see is only in the physical, but we must look beyond the physical into the supernatural. We must learn to see the fruits instead of the difficulties. A lot of us, we, we give attention to the challenges in life. And the more you give attention to the challenges in life, you are feeding the challenges in your life. You are emptying and denying yourself power when you give power away. Because that which you focus, that's where the power will begin to flow. And so, if you focus on the negativity, you are giving power to the negativity. And that's why it begins to overcome you. It's incredulous for me. That the, that the ten leaders who carried the fruits could not see the fruits. They could only see the challenges before them. If you approach life that way, friends, you will always be defeated. If you approach life that way, you become negative. If you approach life this way by focusing on the negativity, negativities and the challenges and the obstacles in life, friends, you are living a defeated life. It's not God's plan for you to live a defeated life. If the Word of God says you are the head and, a, and not the tail, if the Word of God says you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, then how in the world are you focusing all your attention on the negativity? You see, friends, you must learn to focus on God instead of the giants. Yes, Satan is mighty. But I want to confess here, God is almighty. Hallelujah. He is almighty. I went to New York City one time on my, way to, um, on my way to Argentina. And I had a long transition in New York City. I had a 12-hour layover. The first two hours was spent in a business lounge where I was lounging and, um, you know, getting the free massages from the chair. <laughs> After two hours, you know, uh, I, I had ants in the pants and I just couldn't, you know, sit there. And I needed to do something. So I went up to the concierge and I asked the concierge service in the business lounge, what could I do with my remaining 10 hours here in New York City? She said, have you ever been out to the city? I said, no, ma'am. And she says, you, have you been to New York? I said, yeah, plenty of times. But, but why is it that you haven't gone to the city center? So I told her, I'm a preacher. So wherever I go, they just take me from hotel to place of uh, ministry and then from place of ministry back to hotel. And that's as much of New York City that I've seen. So she said to me, um, you should go down to the Empire State Building. When she said that, I was quite excited. Yeah, Empire State Building, King Kong. <laughs> and so she told me how I could get there. So I paid a Jamaican taxi driver to take me into New York City. And when I went to New York City, yeah, most of the drivers are Jamaican. And when I, when I arrived... When I arrived at the, Great, the, the, the Empire State Building, and this was pre-911, so the Twin Towers were there and everything, I remember that I love watching movies. Besides watching King Kong, I love to watch um, uh, Mac Ryan's uh, movie. I mean, it's all those love movies, and they're always shot in New York City. Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail. And so it's always Tom Hanks and Mac Ryan. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Huh? Yeah. You can see I'm an extremely romantic guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And so I joined the line to get up to the Empire State Building. Now I remember in the, in the movie, I remember in the movie, there was a time when um, Tom Hanks was looking for Meg Ryan. Uh, you know, they, they kind of were together and then they kind of broke up. And then they kind of decided to meet uh, at the Empire State Building. And um, somehow he was late that day. <clears throat> and she, was, she felt she was stood up. And so she left. And then somehow Mac Ryan, uh, Tom Hanks, as he was wandering around, he was able to look down and he saw Mac Ryan. And when he saw Mac Ryan, he ran down and chased her. And then they lived happily ever after. So while I was there, you know, besides thinking about King Kong, and I realized that I can't climb to the top because I'm not King Kong, but I realized that I can do the Tom Hanks number and look for my Mac Ryan. Yeah. And so... Uh, as I was there, I climbed on a ledge and I looked down. And for a moment when I looked down, a realization hit me. Hollywood lied. Because there's no way you could see anybody there. But my second realization uh, when I had the gleams was that my second realization was that I had hands that was all over me. And I was pulled down, slammed onto the ground with such force that I felt that I almost died. And I felt knees onto uh, the back of my spine as my hand was being handcuffed right now. And I'm saying, what did I do? What did I do? And the guy says, um, didn't you read the sign you're not supposed to climb? And, uh, you know, why are you trying to kill yourself? I said, I'm not trying to kill myself. I said, you are trying to commit suicide. I said, I'm not. He said, you are. And so I told him, I'm a pastor, a preacher from Singapore. And I watched Sleepless in Seattle, so I want to see Mac Ryan. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the point. <laughs> the point was this. When I arrived by taxi to the foot of the Empire State Building, I look up the building and it's huge. It's like, whoa. But when I was up there and I managed to catch a glimpse, everything is so small. See, your problems become small. In God's elevation, everything is small. Everything is possible. When you are down at a foot and looking up at the problem, the giants, it looks overwhelming. And everything is, no, Lord, I can't, Lord. But when you're up there in God's elevation, looking from God's perspective, that's why you've got to watch what you see. Everything becomes possible. There's an old song of the church. What key are you in, Sue? A. E. All right, they're perfect. There's an old song in the church. Turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things and the things of the earth will grow strangely in the light of his glory Let's sing it again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Strangely in the light of His glory, glory and grace—so true, isn't it? We need to turn our eyes on God. We need to start focusing on God. We should stop focusing at the problems of our life because they seem humongous if we give them power. If we look at ourselves, then we see pitiful poverty. 
In 2 Kings chapter 4, there was a woman whose husband has passed away. And the Bible tells us that the creditors were coming to take her son. She saw Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 7. And she said to Elisha, the creditors are coming after my son. And you know my husband, he's a prophet, he's a man of God. You see, she began to focus on the giants of the creditors. She began to focus on her past. She began to focus on herself. And when you focus on yourself, what you focus on is a pitiful poverty. Because what is man? What do men have? What do you do? What do we have? And so the prophet Elisha asked her, What do you have in your house? She said, I have nothing. You know, words that came out from her mouth, you see, that's a grasshopper complex. I have nothing. The prophet began to push further. And then she said, Yeah, except a little oil. A little oil. And that's enough, isn't it? A little oil is enough because when you begin to focus on the master, that little, little jar of oil began to pour into barrels of containers that her son brought to her that day because the prophet says to her, yes, a little oil is enough. The little oil is enough because don't look at it in the natural. Look at it in the supernatural. Begin to see God and not the problem. You see the size of God and not the magnitude of your issue. Get all the, of the containers. And she began to notice. She shut the door. The, the prophet said, yes, close the door. Because she has to close the door on doubt. She has to close the door on all of those that were going to heckle at her because they are going to see in the natural. And so this, this widow began to pour and pour and, and pour. And then she asked her son for more barrels. And her son says, no more barrel in the community. And that's when the miracle stopped. It's all about God. It's about your focus, friends. Because when you focus on God, friends, you focus on the one who resolves your problems. When you focus on God, you see the fruits of God comes into manifestation. I was sharing with Pastor Martin and some of the leadership the other day when I became senior pastor of Trinity Christian Center. Just like him, when I became senior pastor, he inherited a building with a debt. I inherited a land with a debt. It was a three and a half acres land. Huge three pieces of land. I mean, three, three and a half acres of land with a swimming pool, uh, two, uh, three badminton hall, two tennis courts, two squash courts, a big soccer field, football field. And um, the whole idea was to convert that into a church premise. And that land besetted me with... 10 million pounds. 10 million pounds. I just became senior pastor. Took over the church with 10 million pounds in debt. By God's grace, the people sold off their home, downgraded, gave financially to the church. And over a period of five years, we, we managed to pay off the entire debt of 10 million pounds. At that point in time, the church, uh, we were about maybe 3,000 people. And then I embarked on an ambitious plan of developing that piece of property. And uh, on it, we have four buildings, four four-stories buildings surrounding that place. So Luke stayed in there and, you know, Luke played around there. Luke probably has been to every nook and cro <laughs> every corner of the building. He explored every part of the building, except the pastor's office. As I began to develop on that piece of land, it would cost me at that point in your pounds something like 45 million pounds. I stood before my leadership team of laity and at that point in time, we were probably about 1,200 leaders. Today, we have about 18 to 1,900 leaders. At that point, about 1,200 leaders. I said to them, I said, folks, I'm your senior pastor. I know I'm a fundraiser, but I'm not going to fundraise for the rest of my life. Can we do this in five years? Uh, because you see, friends, I'm looking at a big God. 
I'm looking at a big girl. What is 45 million to him? I said to my wife many times, he, God is a God who owns the kettles on a thousand hills. And there are thousands of hills and thousands of kettles. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. That's how I focus on God. I stood there and when I made that proclamation five years, I came off the platform and one of my board of directors who is, who is a CFO of one of the biggest uh, uh, design comp- de- uh, designer uh, apparels in Singapore came to me and he says to me, Pastor Dom, you've got your math wrong. It took us 10 million pounds to be cleared in five years. How would 45 million pounds be cleared in five years? Come on, Pastor Dom, do your math. And of course, all my pastoral staff knows my mathematics is, is terrible. You know, Luke, you realize that uh, my math is bad. And then when I write on the whiteboard, you know, <laughs> in church, I always misspell stuff. <laughs> you see, I'm a, I'm a secondary school dropout. Never finished my education. I didn't finish my Bible school too, Pastor Martin. <laughs> Aren't you guys worried? <laughs> I said to Raymond that day, I said, Raymond, God's economics is not man's mathematics. You leave the faith to me and you just do the counting of money. Yeah. I want you to know as you begin to focus on God and not focus on the problem, not focus on myself, because where would I have 45 million pounds? I'm not going to focus on myself. I'm going to focus on a big God. And as I begin to focus on this big God, I want you to know we paid off 45 million pounds within four and a half years. What is 45 million pounds? Nothing. It's nothing to God. So we've been debt-free for at least six years right now. Six, seven years. We've been debt-free. Now I'm incurring debt on a one acre of property. Four floors down, four floors up. It's going to cost me 45 million pounds on that one small property. You know what? I already have 45 million pounds in a kitty, church kitty, to pay that off. Hallelujah. God can do it. I don't know what that giant is in your life. I don't know what that complex is in your life telling you, but friends, listen. You become what you see. Focus on God. Focus on His promises. Focus on the fruits, the blessings. Number three. We'll see how far we go. The third thing that is very important for us has to do with your confession. So number one, God's word is more than a promise. Number two, you got to watch what you see. Number three, your confession will shape you. The confession of your lips will shape you. It is very important, friends, to understand that you declare yourself into your destiny. You declare yourself into your destiny. That's why the scripture says, if you confess Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So when you confess Christ, you are saved because you are confessing into your destiny. That's why it's very important to watch what you sing because you become what you sing. If you sing songs of faith in God, faith grows. You see, confession brings realization. Confession will bring a realization. Let me, let me demonstrate it this way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So if I confess faith, I hear the confession. Faith comes by hearing. But if I confess negativity, because I'm seeing the negative, now I confess the negativity, what happens? You hear negativity. When you hear negativity, what happens? You become negative. So it's very important, friends, that you watch your confession as well. You watch what you see, but you must understand your confession is key because what you confess, you become. What you confess, you will sense, you will feel, and you will do, and you will perceive. What is coming out of your mouth today 
Proverbs 18 verse 21 tells us, life and death is on the tongue. Are we confessing life or are we confessing death? Now friends, listen, I'm not asking you to deny the realities of life. Just in case you say, oh, Pastor Dom, you know, you were up there in the clouds and in the air you're of, you are so heavenly minded of no earthly good. Now, I understand there are realities in life. I understand that. But friends, there is a big difference between a fact and a truth. Do you know that? Your confession is not the confession of the facts because when you confess the facts of life, you become grounded in the facts of life. But we must confess the truth. It is important because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is God's way, friends, I'm teaching you. Because when you walk in God's ways, you will start living in God's truth. When you start living in God's truth, you will have God's life. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. But the problem with many of us is that we have the grasshopper complex. And so instead of confessing truth, we confess facts. Let me illustrate it this way. Yes, it's true that your bank account is down to zero. When I, when, when I first proposed to my wife years ago, this will be our, we will be celebrating our 31st anniversary. Yes. Same woman. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> when I asked her about 32, 33 years ago, 32 years ago, uh, would she marry me? We had a short courtship, which is unusual in Singapore. In our Asian culture, people caught for like 20 years before. They, <laughs> you know. I mean, when I saw her, I said, well, that's the woman for me. God has designed her for me. That's just that. She just don't know about it yet. <laughs> and so, <laughs> after I courted her, I said, would you marry me? And she said, yes. I didn't, I, I didn't do all this stuff. Would you marry me? I just, as a matter of fact, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm a man of faith. <laughs> and then, you see, in Singapore, the man pays the wedding package. We just discovered in, in, in UK, uh, the bride pays for the wedding, right? But in Singapore, oh, the bride's father, the bride's father. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> but in Singapore, in Singapore, the man takes care of the the wedding package. How many of you ladies want to marry Singapore men right now? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we set out on this, this planning for the, I mean, wedding takes a lot of planning. How many of you realize that? We plan. And as we go into this time of planning, this was in January, you know, uh, 1986. And so we started, the, we started planning for it. I was in Bible school. By this time, I left the Air Force. I was in Bible school. And so, um, in a time of planning, uh, she wanted something like maybe 150 friends to come for the wedding at max. Now, I have a list for 1,500 friends. You see, I'm a friend to everybody. Everyone's my friend. So, everyone ought to be invited. That's what I said to her. You know, <laughs> And so we set about the budget and it was a huge budget. It was a huge budget. So um, we decided to look at each other's bank account since we're going to get married anyway. So let's be transparent, right? You know, transparency is the way to go. And so at that point in time, she was a bank officer working in an American offshore bank. And so when I saw her bank account, I'm like, yes, Lord. This is a marriage made in heaven. She saw my bank account and she said, oh, she almost fainted under the power of my account. <laughs> Less than 10 pounds. <laughs> she said to me, honey, how are you paying for it? I said, don't worry, sweetheart. God will provide. See? <laughs> I don't focus on the problems. Nah. I focus on God. <laughs> Months down the road, she came up to me and, and she said, now we're going to pay for a few things. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, could you lend me the money? 
She said to me, yeah, but how are you going to pay back? Do you, how much do you have? I mean, you've been working this last few months. You see, I was in the Air Force. What I, I mean, I was in the Air Force. And when I was in the Air Force, whatever came my way, I, you know, I just spent everything. You know, why keep it? You see, I, I'm a realist. <laughs> so by this time, I was in Bible school. Mind you, I was in Bible school. In Bible school, you're really poor. They keep us poor so that we can be spiritual before we begin the ministry. <laughs> so I said, I got to borrow. And she said, how are you going to pay back? I said, come on, God will provide. So, couple of months down the road, now we've got more bills to pay. And then she asked me, how are we going to do it? I said, you know, sweetheart, this is a modern marriage, dear. She says, what is a modern, modern marriage? I said, the woman pays the bill. <laughs> I was getting desperate. <laughs> the giant is becoming bigger. I needed to confess. I got to keep my focus on God. I got to realize that God's word said that He was provide for me. So October, that's why I, that's why I love October. October is a month that I give to the Lord. Yeah. October is the month that basically I give to the Lord. And I'm born in October as well. I'm an October baby. Just like Sam. So in October that year, I took that little pioneering church. Oh yeah, by the way, I left Trinity to pioneer a church in Singapore with, a, with seven Bible school students. And, and we grew that church pretty well. So we took that little church out to to a retreat in Malaysia for five days, four nights. On the first, first, first day as we arrived, there was a lady that came up to me desperately needing to see me, desperately wanting to talk to me. And I, the thing here is that I don't like counselling. never did like counselling in life. I mean, the thing about counselling is people tell you their problems, you listen, you give them the solution. They don't listen, they come back next week with the same issue. You know? I'm like, what? Waste my time. And secondly, I don't like counselling, particularly ladies. Because ladies are so emotional, they always cry. They always say, I don't know, I don't know where to begin. You know, it's like, begin anywhere, but they, they don't know where to begin. And they always cry. And then when they cry, giving them a piece of tissue paper is like, it's not sufficient, right? So you got to lend them your shoulders. But the problem of lending them your, your shoulders is that because of the tears and the snot, it's like, it's not going to do on this nice shirt. I don't need stuff there. <laughs> so I don't counsel. So when she came to me, I said, look here, Ivy, uh, today's first day. We're doing setup, and it's, it's a busy day. So throughout the next four days, when I see Ivy walking this, walking this way, I walk the other way. <laughs> and when I, see, when I notice Ivy is watching me, I'm busy doing stuff. Last day of camp. Yeah, my wife will tell you, even to today, we go out supermarket shopping, grocery shopping, and I see a Trinitarian walk down this aisle. I say, all right, let's go. <laughs> so last day, I'm sitting down, not doing anything because we already strike set, set, and, and, and the logistics were all done, and I'm resting sitting there. And then Ivy came right beside me and, Pastor Dom, you are free! <laughs> I'm like, yes. I said to Ivy, yes, what is it, Ivy? She said, yeah, Pastor Dom, I need to talk to you. Um, I said, it's all right. Um, speak. She said, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> I said, anywhere. She says, Pastor Dom, um, please understand, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm like, wow, the counseling just went down south. <laughs> I said, so, it's okay, I'm a man of God. You can say what you want to me. I can take it as a man. And she said, yeah. God spoke to me since January. I said, what did God say? She says, wait. She gave me an envelope from her bag. I peeled open the envelope and I, I picked up this check and my name is right on the top line. I said, Ivy, what is this? And I looked at the figure. It was five figure. 
So I said, Ivy, what is this? She says, you know, God spoke to me since January to sell off all of my Singapore Airlines shares and to give this money to you. I was so happy. I said to her, what else did God say? <laughs> you see, friends, it's very important. Each time my wife confronted me with the facts, my confession was, God will provide. Your bank account may be low, that's a fact. But the truth is, He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. The reality is that the doctor may have given you a prognosis of a big C. But the truth is that He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. The fact of the matter is that I may have sinned in my life, but He is Jehovah Sukudu, my righteousness. Hallelujah. It's very important, friends, that we live and confess the truth of God because when we confess the truth of God, we live in the truth. And when we live in the truth, we experience a life. I can tell you stories after stories how, how the confession of our lips bring us into the truth of God. And through the truth of God, we've seen the miraculous. We experience the supernatural. We have done the impossible. Lastly, let me close by saying, if you want to finally eradicate the grasshopper complex in your life, your mind determines who you are. You see, firstly, God's Word is more than a promise so that you and I can learn to step into it and claim it and live by it. Number two, we are going to watch what we see so that we are not affected by what we see because we realize our focus determines our destiny. Number three, we realize that our confession will shape us. So it's very important to confess the truth of God so that the truth shapes us into the life of God. But number four, it is very important to understand that your mind determines who you are. We are either prisoners of our thoughts or victors of our mind. We're either caged, incarcerated by the thoughts of our life or we become victors, winners through our mind. You see, friends, you are the reflection of your mind because you look like your mind. If you are angry on the inside, the exterior will become extremely sour pus. But if you think happy thoughts, you will have a big smile on your face. Isn't it true? You look like your mind because, friends, you are the established character of your thought life. What is in your mind, you do. What is in your mind, you will speak. And what is in your mind, you will do or you don't do and don't speak. Because your life is the result of the inner working of your mind. Your mind controls how you relate and how others will relate with you. That's why when the 10 spies began to relate in their mind the giants, that's how they expect the giants to relate with them. Friends, today, let's come to the cross. Let's come to the altars of God because the Scripture teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to renew your mind. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world because it's a Babylonic pattern. It's a Babylonic system. But friends, it's very important to renew our mind. To renew our mind through the Word of God. To renew our mind in the presence of God. To renew our mind as we confess God into our life. Your thought life determines your attitude to others to the situations around you and to the circumstances of life. It's very important to cease your thoughts because the Scripture tells us if you allow the thought to become a high thing, it will reign supreme and it will catch you. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive so that there is the rulership of Christ over every thought. You may not do it yet, but you start thinking 
very soon you are doomed. That's why if we read this story, the two victors in this story happens to be Joshua and Caleb. Because they took God's word as more than a promise. Because God says, you will. And therefore, they say, we can certainly do it. They begin to see the, the big God who has promised them the land and not the giants. They began to see the fruits instead of the challenges that they had that day. They began to confess the power of God, the strength of God. We can certainly do. You see, they were living, they were living the New Testament in the old because the New Testament says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. And that's why it says we can certainly do it. In the power and in the strength of God. These two men, unlike the ten spies, had a different thought. They didn't think of them as giant. They think of them as being overcome. They think of the giants as the ones that they are going to beat. You hear what I'm saying, friends? And so tonight, let's be grasshopper killers. Let's come before God and believe that God can touch us, reframe us, cause reset our thinking, reset our mind, and let's just reset our confession so that you and I will always walk the miraculous, live in the supernatural, and do the impossible. Amen. Let's all stand. As Brother Mark comes to lead us right now. I want to open the altars for us to meet God tonight. It is important that you meet God. It is important that you encounter God. Because when you encounter God, you see Him. And you see God for who He is. For too long, our minds been focused on the giant. For too long, we've been seeing the giant. For too long, we have entertained the giant. For too long, we have been speaking affirmation of the giants. For too long, we have not taken God's word as it is. Tonight, let's come to God. Tonight, come to God. Encounter Him. Embrace Him. And then see Him. Confess Him. Think about Him. That's why the Bible says, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, think about it. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank You for this time. I pray, Lord, tonight, as men and women come to this place of prayer, this is a holy place. This is an awesome place. And I pray, Father, as men and women come to this place of prayer, they will encounter You. Their life will be transformed. There will be divine transaction that will take place. There will be breakthroughs. There will be change. There will be recalibration. There will be abundant life that is found in this place. And so Lord, as men and women come to this place of prayer, this is your operating theater. So Holy Spirit, do that deep work right now. In Jesus' name. 